It was first said in a civilization that flourished three or so world-ending events ago. Who will guard the guards themselves? Who polices the police? It is a phrase heard on both sides of the greats, a chant, an echo that, though using the same words, targets two very different entities, depending on if you stand on metal or earth. Who guards the guards? I hear the call from lower, angry at the wasps that disregard them. Who polices the police? I hear shouted from the streets of Upper, fearful of the red-armed watchdogs that stalk the streets, that snap at their heels, that bare their teeth in the darkness. Who watches the watchdogs? I hear it from everyone that has seen the raised fist with a signature dark red tattoo meant to set apart citizen and watchdog, sheep, and wolf. It is woe to the man who finds himself audited by the city's guardians. In upper or lower there is no escape from those jaws and no relief from that pursuit. The answer to that several thousand year question who guards the guards, who polices the police, who watches the watchdogs, is simple. No one. So cling to your home, your work, your family, and hope that the question never becomes pertinent. The government will not keep you safe. The police will not keep you safe. The city will not keep you safe. So tell me, citizen, why would you expect it of a watchdog? You know what always rankled me, every time, without fail? Being asked to enter or leave anything through the back. I sit at the entryway, well, the back entryway, to a two-story, sprawling house in Upper Satellite that belonged to the Madison family. Every available overhand and windowsill was decorated with a twisting, spindly design, pieces of metal and stone carved and bent into patterns that reminded me of the spider that had made a home on my own windowsill. The alley was impossibly, almost infuriatingly clean and I found the sterility of all of it only served to make me even more irritated. I shouldn't have taken this job. I should have turned it down the moment they told me I would have to enter through the alley door, that no one could see me entering their home. It wasn't the first time a great walker didn't want to be seen working with me, and it probably wouldn't be the last. At least the pay was good. Double, in fact. I found myself facing a woman with a round, pleasant face. She was wearing simple clothes that were still finely made, and she gripped the edge of the door with a gloved hand and looked up and down the alley nervously, biting her lip, rubbing at eyes that were already red and swollen. You must be the investigator, Jack Hart? Yeah. You the help? No, actually, I'm Mrs. Madison, 
You can call me Lorraine. Oh. Uh, sorry. It's alright. Can I... Can I get you some coffee? I wouldn't say no. She directed me into a large sitting room that was currently unoccupied. It was sparsely decorated, which was completely at odds with the intricacy of the outside of their house. There were a few chairs arranged around a coffee table, some houseplants, and some family photos hanging over a false fireplace. I walked deeper into the room, noticing that there seemed to be a few missing items. There was discoloration on the floor, maybe where a rug used to lie, some slight sun bleaching on the walls that wasn't as bad in certain places as though a painting used to hang. If it weren't for the lack of moving boxes, general disarray, and hustle that comes with moving, I would assume they'd packed up this room to leave. Investigator Hart? Call me Jack. The man that had entered the room had graying hair that was slicked back, though he seemed to have missed a few strands that stuck out in random directions, giving him a more frazzled look than he likely intended. He was tall, with a square jaw and a gentle way of moving that made it seem like he was worried he would startle me. He gave an apologetic smile and gestured toward one of the chairs. My name is Forrest. It would be a pleasure to meet you, under different circumstances. Please sit, I'm terribly sorry about the whole runaround. Thank you for humoring us. I'm afraid we didn't have much of a choice. How do you mean? We'll get to it shortly when my wife arrives. It all has to do with the job we hired you for. I figured as much. Ah, uh, here she is. Um, milk? Sugar? No, uh, thanks. I took a sip of the coffee and almost melted into the chair. I'd had farm-grown coffee only once in my life, but knew the taste well enough that I could recognize it immediately. I'd gladly enter through an alleyway if they were going to provide this. Alright, so your note was minimally helpful. Why are you hiring me? <clears throat> yes, of course. Our son has been missing for a while. It's not uncommon for him to be gone for a few weeks here or there, but this time is different. He's been gone, going on three weeks now, I believe. Yes, three weeks. She handed me a folded photo of their son, who was a spitting image of Forrest, and when I offered it back, she shook her head and gestured for me to keep it. Why was this time different? Well, due to some unfortunate circumstances, we had to stop issuing him funds. You cut him off? Why? He was spending a purely irrational amount. We didn't find out about it until after the bills came due. What's he been spending on? Mods. He was in the clinic practically every month, sometimes twice. We don't really know why, he never seemed to show any interest in them besides getting the liar mod. You see, he was interested in acting. He really wanted to be able to mimic Jay Murphy. But after the first, he was practically uh, obsessed. I chewed on the end of my pen. Looking around at the blank spots on the walls and floors, the obvious lack of servants of any kind. I wasn't familiar with a mod addiction, but maybe they were more common and upward than I knew. 
Since I didn't personally know anyone that got organic modifications, I wasn't particularly sure if there was an addictive component or not. Either way, it certainly looked like the kid had bled these two almost completely dry. And have you gone to the authorities? The two looked nervously at each other. Forrest reached into his pocket and produced a folded slip of paper. We... well... we tried. But we got this note in the mail a few days ago. I unfolded the note. In a shaky hand written in black marker on a napkin were the words, I have Alder. If you want to see him alive, give me $10,000 on three separate chips. I'll call. No cops. Mind if I keep this? No, go, go ahead. Do either of you know anyone that would do this? Did your son make any enemies? Any changes in behavior or routines? Not that we can think of, no. We know he was getting more irritable just before he disappeared, but it was probably just because he was angry that he couldn't afford the mods on his own. Well, the potential good news is that if there's a ransom note, he's around here somewhere. I assume the kidnapper hasn't called you yet? No, not yet. Do you have the money? Barely. But yes, we scrounged some. Alright. Well, keep my number close, and when he calls with the drop-off location, call me immediately. Does this mean you'll take the case? Yeah. I'll do what I can. Can you tell me the last place he was seen? I think it was his clinic. Please, investigator. Bring him back to us. According to the Madisons, the last place that their son had been seen was leaving the clinic where he got his mods with his girlfriend. I'd called ahead and found that the girlfriend didn't get off work for a while, so I decided to start with the clinic. I opened the doors to a towering building and entered the elevator. My time in lower, and around the lifts they used in some places instead of staircases, carried over to make me leery of elevators. That said, I wasn't about to take the 30 flights of stairs that they offered to the offices of the Final Draft Modification Clinic. The man who actually performed the surgeries was called Dr. Stephen Urell, but he was apparently out of the office today. Whatever. I didn't need him. I just needed the mod records to confirm when Alder was supposedly last here. When the doors opened, I was immediately greeted by a practice, falsely cheery secretary. Welcome to the Final Draft Modification Clinic where we edit you to perfection. Creepy. How can I help you today? Hi, yeah, I could actually use your help. The person sitting behind the desk had cheekbones that protruded so far and at such an intense angle that they looked like they could, literally, cut glass. Their face immediately became less friendly when I showed my investigator badge. The secretary took my badge and held it up to the light, squinting, as though they didn't believe it. They eyed me over with an incredulous look and dropped the badge unceremoniously onto the desk. It clattered toward the floor and I caught it just as it bounced over the edge. Afternoon, Casey. I have a couple of questions that I'm hoping you can help me out with. You're a lower investigator? Yes. Aren't you out of your jurisdiction? Thankfully, that's not how it works. What do you want? As I said, I've got some questions about one of your clients. 
I'm sorry, investigator. We don't give out client information. Actually, that's not the truth with this kind of investigation. Or my certification. But we both know that, don't we? If you're upset about it, you can always file a case review quest to make sure that my need for these records is appropriate. Since it's actually in my job not to give out case information without that review request filed, why don't we just play nice with one another until that happens? Groundwalker. So, now that that's cleared up, why don't you go ahead and give me the medical records for Alder Madison, if you don't mind. You can send those records directly to my tablet. Of course, investigator. Tell me, Casey, when was the last time you saw Alder? His last appointment was a Wednesday before last. So like, a week and a half ago? <laughs> From the corner of my eyes, I watched a couple of security guards enter the room, arms crossed over their chest, jaws set, eyes hard. This clinic must be one of the ones that didn't like people from lower squatting in their offices. Most of us were probably too poor to really afford mods, so it wasn't exactly surprising. I got the notification and scrolled through the files just to be sure that I'd gotten everything that I needed. Be on the lookout for that review request. It'll be along shortly. Oh, I'm sure it'll be my top priority. By the Redeemer, this kid has like nine, ten major mods? No wonder his parents' house was stripped. I scanned over the documents, noticing that while his first mod was about a year ago, within the last few months he had rapidly scaled up the frequency of his modifications. There was a gap of about six months between the first and second mods, and then about three months, and then half a month, and then about every other week. If they were small mods, he sometimes got them practically on top of one another. This kid had spent more on mods than I had probably made in my lifetime, by almost triple the amount. I instinctively looked from my seat in the lobby to the figures that stepped out. The two security guards nodded toward me and advanced, and I slipped to my feet, securing my tablet and darting out of the building. I figured that once I reached the street, they'd fall back. After all, they were already 30 floors from their own jurisdiction. I slowed to a walk, turning my head just enough to see the doors open behind me and the two security guards step out. One nudged the other with his elbow and gestured toward me. Shit, time to go. I slipped into a small alley and paused for a breather, fairly certain I'd left them behind. I faced the brick wall of a dead end with a sinking feeling in my gut. This was a bad place to be, if they'd managed to catch up with me. Hey, investigator. Got a minute to talk? Fuck. You know, unfortunately, I don't. Shame. Well, we can keep this nice and short if you just hand me the tablet. Oh? Now, why would you need that? Our boss is, well, uncomfortable with people leaving the property with client information. We're just gonna take it back until the review request comes through. And as far as our boss is concerned, the ends justify the means. Why don't you make this nice and boring and just give it over? All right. Alright, let's take a breath. This isn't worth either of us getting hurt. Sure. I eyed the weapons that they had, 
looked like the guy that was talking was carrying a stinger, the wasp issue electric baton, and the silent one had a gun. It was always the quiet ones. I slipped my left hand into my pocket and wrapped my fingers through the brass knuckles I always carried. Turning my body slightly so that they wouldn't see the glimmer of metal, I reached my right hand into my coat pocket. Okay, look. Here. Just take it. My thumb unfastened the shoulder holster clip and I pulled out my gun on the silent one. Back up. Out of the alley. Hands where I can see them. This isn't a bluff, gentlemen. Take a step back. Go on, boys. Add onto the street. Put your fucking gun down or I'm going to paint the wall of this alley red with your buddy's brains. Eject the magazine and throw it to me. Empty the chamber. Good. Now get out of this alley and cross the street. You can collect your friend once I'm out of here. The man reluctantly backed out of the alleyway, and only after he was out of sight did I carefully get to my feet, limping forward. I stopped at the edge and cleared the corners, making sure that he wasn't waiting for me just out of sight. And then, as quickly as I could stagger, headed toward the train station. <sighs> I hate Upper. Hopefully the girlfriend would be more forthcoming. Or even just nicer. I was getting more and more sick of spending time on the grates. The girlfriend, Iris Hanvers, lived in what I think served as an apartment building in Upper. The building was a series of small condos that were stacked in a strange, twisted square tower configuration, like they had let a three-year-old construct it with building blocks. I found myself, once again, in the elevator, leaning against the side while my leg throbbed from the blow of the stinger. I waited for a moment before a tired-looking, thin, blonde woman opened the door. She had no noticeable mods, and matched the description of her I'd gotten from the Madisons on the train ride over. Iris? Are you the investigator? The one asking after Alder? Yeah, call me Jack. With a vacant nod, she led me through the door. The apartment was small, smaller than my above office flat, though it was much nicer decorated, under all the clutter. There were books piled on a desk that were shoved into the corner and papers littered around the room. I'm sorry to be coming by so late. It's not a problem. I was up anyways. Studying, by the looks of it? Yeah. Exams are later this week. Must be tough, trying to study while all of this is going on. If it's not this, it'd be something else. Another post-surgery care routine or another late-night pickup from a place he shouldn't have been. It sounds like he was a real problem. Why were you with him? We've known each other since I started going here. I just... He just got different. Because of the mods? Well, yeah. Obviously, he got physically different. He got, like, a hundred mods. He spent more time in surgery than he did in class. It wasn't just big surgeries like optics or elegant. It was little things. Like, 
being able to see more colors or having an enhanced sense of smell or like, uh, who even wants that? It's a wonder she wasn't killed by mod rejection or something already. It looks like his clinic is top-notch. I guess. It's pretty new, but it's really popular. A few of our friends have started going, and they seem to really like it. How else was he different? He got... He just got mean. I don't know. He was irritable over super small things. He got frustrated just at the drop of a hat. We never really used to fight, but once he started getting all of these mods, we started fighting all the time. Do you think he's okay? I don't know. <laughs> Ex excuse me for a moment. I struggled to my feet, looking around the room and keeping an ear focused toward the girl's quiet sobs. Though she was an upper, this apartment didn't exactly scream wealthy. On her fridge was a picture of her and Alder, though in this photo he had a slightly different bone structure than in the photo his parents had given me. The fridge and the cabinets were mostly empty, and the tablet she had on her desk was several years old. Her tennis shoes had holes. Her milk was expired. If I was her, and I hated my boyfriend, a ransom might be a good idea to carry me through the rest of my schooling. Unsurprisingly, it wasn't cheap to be a student at Upper. I bolted for the desk, certain that my unsupervised free time was running out. She had a notebook sitting on top, flashcards going over various parts of the body, lined out in perfect, neat, dare I say pretty, scrawl. Her handwriting was nothing even kind of close to the scratching on the ransom note. I made it back to my seat just as the door opened and Iris walked back in, trying to pretend that she hadn't just been bawling in the bathroom. <sighs> Sorry, investigator. No worries. Can you tell me the last time you saw Alder? About a week and a half ago. I picked him up from his mod surgery and we came back here. He usually stayed with me after his surgeries. I didn't mind so much. It was when he was almost himself. Oh, so did he stay here? N no. Where'd he go? I, I don't... I don't know. He just... Well, we... It's okay, Iris. I promise. We got into a fight, and he... He left. He stormed out, and I haven't been able to get a hold of him since. What was your fight about? He was basically addicted to those mods. He'd gotten so many, he didn't even look the same. The cover-up, optics, elegant, one after the other. He even got mods that a few months before he said he hated. He was getting mods that didn't even make sense for him to have. Like... Ones that made him stronger, or the Piano Fingers mod. He was changing himself completely, and I... <sighs> I hated it. I'm sorry, Iris. It's... it's okay. Just... can you bring him back? I don't want the last thing I said... I don't want the fighting to be the last thing that we did. 
I'll do what I can. Do you have any idea where he could be? Anywhere you could point me? Uh, yeah. He had a friend in Lower. A real dirt licker asshole named Gleevan Faraday. They met, like, a month ago. How'd they meet? Gleevan sells drugs on campus. Not, not that Alder did drugs. He wasn't into that kind of thing. You sure? I'm sure. You're sure? I, I promise. He, he couldn't be. He wasn't. I nodded, not pressing the matter. Is there anything else I should know before I go? No. Okay. Take care of yourself. The girl swore he wasn't the type to do drugs, but running with a known peddler wasn't a great look. Not to mention, the description of his latest behaviors sounded a lot like someone going through withdrawal. I couldn't help but notice Iris standing at the window. I couldn't be sure if she was staring at me, or just watching the sun and its downward descent toward the horizon like a light slowly falling below the grates. I found myself up late that night, lying in bed, staring at the ceiling. After a regimen of ice and heat, my leg was starting to feel a bit better, but my head was spinning. When it became apparent that sleep was not going to stop for a visit, I got up with a sigh and headed to the only place in the city that I could sit through the late hours of the night till the morning. At least, the only place I could do that with any measure of safety. Sam's Diner. The diner was constantly busy, filled with the ebb and flow of people either preparing for work or having just finished. No matter what the shifting current of the patrons, there always seemed to be an open bar seat or a waiting booth. I eased onto one of the stools at the counter, eyeing the boar's head that hung over the bar alongside other miscellanea. It was a sigil of the man who owned the place, Sam. Stood behind the counter now, his large frame dwarfing the retro-style cash register, his eyebrows bushy and his beard well-maintained, if slightly frizzy from the steam and heat of the kitchen. Hey, Sam. Jack, starting your day or finishing it? Is there a middle option? <laughs> One of those. One of those. Well then, do you want your coffee lucky or not? <laughs> not lucky for now, just strong. We don't make it any other way. I would say that it wasn't as good as the farm-grown coffee I'd had at the Madisons, but that wouldn't be fair. It was different. The kind of coffee for late nights and early mornings. Not for sitting rooms or as an after-dinner sip. I sank into it, forearms resting on the bar, inhaling the steam that rolled from the cup, and took stock. My legs still throbbed, and while I was trying to think more on where Alder could have gone to get himself kidnapped, 
I also couldn't help but remember the security guards in the alley. Sure, I wasn't exactly nice to the secretary, but a review request was a fairly common procedure, especially with private investigators that didn't have the same kind of access to warrants as the WASPs did. It was a bit of leeway given to PIs, a hole in the law that said that they could obtain otherwise unavailable information if the case was dire enough, i.e. a murder or, you know, a kidnapping. It was contentious, sure, but the consequences of frivolously using the measure was fairly steep. You'd be lucky if you lost your license for a failed review request. You'd more likely be in prison. So then why did these guys feel the need to chase me out onto the street? Was there something they didn't want me to find? I pulled out my tablet, going through the files that the secretary had given me. I wasn't exactly a professional with medical records, but I spent a fair amount of time around hospitals and morgues to pick up on some of it. And after the last case, I brushed up on the current mods and mod procedures going around to the extent that I could practically hear Jay Murphy's commercials in my head as I read off the list of mods in the document. A year ago, Liar. Mimic voices. Impersonate celebrities. Speak in extinct accents. With this entertainment-focused mod brought to you by the Sadcorp Linguistics team, there are no limits to what your voice can do. Six months ago. The, the cover-up. Change your hair and color in the blink of an eye. Become the master of blending in while standing out. Popular with actors and models, don't underestimate its value to you. Three months. Fair. Fair. Draw them in. Make yourself irresistible with this pheromone cloud of an angel. This high-tech organic modification will leave you smelling like roses, and people will stop to smell the flowers. Two and a half months ago. Elegant. Elegant. Oh, the grace, the beauty, the eye-catching feature of that great creature, the giraffe. Two months. Piano, Piano fingers. fingers. Are you one of those sirens that can tickle the ivories? Well, what if you could expand your reach by half an octave? A month and a half. Talent. Tired of chipping your nails? Want to make a statement with your artistic poly- A month. Ox. Be strong enough to lift a car. Or at least that One and a block. half weeks ago, my good friend, Optics. Optics. The human eye is more than an important organ. The eyes are the window to the soul and the paths to love. The glimmering jewels of the body. The next day, he disappeared after a fight with Iris. About a week later, his name shows up on a ransom note in the Madison's mailbox. <sighs> Should have had him put more alcohol in this. There was nothing in these documents that would suggest that the final draft clinic should have anything to be worried about. The aggressive response must have been triggered by my interaction with the secretary, or their doubt that the case I was pursuing was truly worth the information. I had gotten a notice that a review request had been submitted. The complete lack of any other direction had me fixated on the final draft clinic when maybe I should be focused on something else. For instance, who could be on the other end of this ransom note? If Alder had really been this addicted to mods, with no income, could he have staged his own kidnapping? I'd need to reach back out to his parents, or Iris, to see if there was a piece of his handwriting that I could get a hold of. Refill, Jack? No thanks, Sam. 
I think I'll just take a walk. The Light District is a good route this time of night. You read my mind, Sam. See you around. Cleveland and Veriday lived in a lower apartment that could best be described as a shanty. About a ten minute walk from the Geneseo train station, the building leaned at a dangerous angle, and the stairs that led up to it were so rickety that I was certain if I stepped too quickly I would fall through them to the street below. Given the unsteadiness of my leg, I wasn't exactly stoked with the whole situation. The door to his apartment sat crooked in a broken frame, the door handle loose, the peephole, just a literal hole in the door. I watched as the light from within was eclipsed, and the door opened shakily a few inches. Gleevan Faraday! Before I knew it, a man with greasy brown hair and wild eyes bolted past me, practically suffocating me with the smell of old sweat and blood. He stumbled at the bottom of the stairs, which was the only thing that actually let me catch him. Alright, so I assume you're Gleevan then. No, I'm not. I'm I'm Alder. Uh, Alder Madison. No, you're not. Look, look, I, I swear, I'll get money to you this week. I just need need a few more days. Money? What the hell? I had a sinking suspicion about this guy. Why would he use Alder's name as a cover? Of all the names he could pick. You don't have a week. Give me that money tonight, or else. I staked out his apartment on the roof of an adjacent building that had a crumbling rear wall that wasn't too hard to climb. Given the various tents staked up there, I evidently wasn't the only one who had noticed. After about an hour of waiting, there was finally activity, but not from Gleevan. I put down the hand of cards that I had started playing with the rooftop residents to pass the time and kept an eye on the vacant stairway to Gleevan's apartment. One of the old-timers at the shanty was a wicked hand, but was almost helpful keeping me in the game while I stared out at the alleyway entrance. Jack speaking. Yes, hello, investigator. Oh, hello, Mr. Madison. What do you need? We've just been called. The abductor wants us to drop off the chips at the Genesio station within the hour. We're supposed to put them in a baggie and... Drop them in the needle disposal box on the platform. By the Redeemer, the needle disposal box? This person must be insane. I'll call once I have something. Good round, boys. I'll be seeing you. See ya, Jack. Keep yourself out of the jaws, Reef. Next round we play, I'm going to win. Yeah, sure, kid. Keep telling yourself that. You don't have to worry about me. The crocodile hasn't bitten me yet. It wasn't too busy at the station. The wasp was obviously only preoccupied with what was happening in Upper, so I sat down at a bench that was a ways away with a direct line of sight to the needle disposal box, sank low in my seat, and waited. I watched as the Madisons disembarked from the train, Forrest making his way over somewhat awkwardly to the needle disposal box and jamming something inside it. He looked around nervously, 
and I was immediately thankful that his eyes skipped over me. He didn't exactly seem like the kind of guy that could have kept his cool if he'd recognized me. After about another half hour of sitting on the bench, I caught sight of a slim figure with their hood pulled over their face dart over to the needle box. With a broken screwdriver, they pried up the top and with painstaking care reached inside to withdraw the bag, shaking loose a few needles that had pierced through. Once it was free of any potential health hazards, they beelined for the stairs to lower. The Wasp and several other train passengers watched the whole thing with varying levels of disinterest. It wasn't uncommon for desperate people to dig through the needle disposal boxes, either to replace their own needles, or in search of some remnant of crocodile that might still be present in the recycled metal. Alright, buddy. Where are you going? The direction we were heading started to get more and more familiar. I followed them back through random turns and backtracks for about 20 minutes before they stopped, took a deep breath, and climbed an all-too-familiar staircase into a rickety apartment. The door shut, but the latch didn't stick, and I saw it swing back open by about an inch. I stopped, leaning against the wall next to the door, and listened in. From the crack in the door, I could pick up on... sobbing? Freeze! Hands in the air! The apartment was a wreck. Gleevan huddled on the ground, hands held shaking above his head, chin tucked to his chest as the tears flowed openly down his face. The table was cluttered with papers, past due bills, letters, scribblings on the back of receipts. There was food in various stages of decay all over the room, and the wallpaper was yellowing and starting to peel in tattered strips like torn flesh from the walls. There was a smell of must, garbage, and waste, and I was almost glad that I had been prevented from entering the last time. By the Redeemer! Wait, wait, I have your money. Just please don't shoot. I moved slightly toward the table, getting a good enough look at the mad scribblings to know that his handwriting matched what was on the ransom note in my pocket. I swear, it's it's right there on the table. Just let me go. Look, Gleevan, I'm not whoever you think I am. I'm a private investigator, not some thug. You're... you're what? A, a private investigator. The Madisons hired me to figure out what happened to their son, Alder. Now, do you want to tell me why you were blackmailing them? Or do we need to go to one of the Wasp precincts about it? I... I... Speak up now, Gleevan, or get ready for an uncomfortable ride. Blackmailing an upper family is a pretty serious crime. This is the money you took from them, right? Please, wait. I... I need that money. What for? I'm... I'm in a bad way with some people, and I'm sure what I owe them... Really short. I noticed then that he was scratching nervously at the pits of his elbows, rocking back and forth a little. In the twisting shadows cast by his erratic movements, I caught sight of his arms. They were covered with a green, scaly skin, punctuated by red pockmarks. There was a little bit of telltale scales climbing his neck. Crocodile, I take it? Y yes. Well, look, maybe I can help you out. You just have to tell me where Alder is. I... I can't. Hey, it'll be okay. We'll get this all worked out. 
Once we have Alder, I'm sure we can get you- No, you don't understand. I can't. I felt that familiar sinking feeling, and holstered my gun. What happened, Cleven? He's dead. How? When? We... We went to a party under the Light District, and he... He wanted to try Crocodile. It... I didn't mean to. How did it happen? Did he get sideways of someone he shouldn't? No, I, I think he overdosed. And the ransom note? I just... I just... I owe a lot of money, and I... Well, I figured that Alder's parents had money, and he... Well, he was part of the reason that I owed what I did, so... Stop talking. I clenched my teeth and took a steadying breath, picturing the round, worried face of Lorraine, the steady, hopeful look in Forrest's eyes. Just... Tell me where the body is. I don't... I, I don't know. I, I panicked and called the cops, but I didn't stick around to see where he got taken. Fine. I'll track it down. Don't ever contact the Madisons again. Or me. No, wait. I need the money. My peddler will kill me if I don't get him what I owe. Get up. Come on. Get up. Who do you owe? He goes by overdose. He's one of the dead men. One of the dead men? I dug around in my pockets and came up with my own chip, locking in enough money for a few days on the road. I tossed it to him and shook my head. Get out of here. Go south, or go as far west as you can. Lie low. I'm not giving you the Madison's money, but I can give you enough to get you out of here. Leaving town is the only way you'll survive this. I looked over my shoulder at Gleven, who stood with my chip in his hand, staring blank-eyed and broken at the floor the garish lighting in his home, only serving to darken the scaled skin on his arms. I descended the staircase, the stench of the den leaving my nose as I picked up my phone and dialed. Hey, you Jack. Hey, Delilah. I need a favor. Straight to business then. What you need, honey? I need to track down a body that the wasp were called to pick up. Lower New York, near the Light District. It'd be a doe, heavily biologically modded. Death likely overdose. All right, I'll see what I can do. <sighs> Thanks, Delilah. You doing okay, Jack? I thought of my destination as I boarded the train to the Madisons, the weight of the chip in my pocket threatening to drag me all the way down to lie on the streets below. I just... <sighs> Delilah, sometimes I hate this job. won't do you any good. Jack, what are you doing? Sh should we... Can we talk inside? Oh, uh, of course. I was itching to light my pipe, but stopped myself as the picture of Alder that was one of the few decorations left in the room, drew my gaze. Can I get you some coffee? I'm all right, thanks. I found your blackmailer. It was Alder's friend, Gleven Faraday. 
does that mean Alder is safe? I'm sorry. Alder died about a week ago at a place in Lower with Gleven. I'm tracking down his body now, but, well, I, I wish I had better news. But, but, but the blackmail- Gleven knew that you guys would be good for it. Alder was already gone when you got the note. We, we should have done something. We shouldn't have cut him off. We, we should have, we sh This isn't your fault. And this isn't a road to go down. Not right now. Please, just bring him back. Bring him back to us. And Jack, find out what happened. Yeah, I'll do my best. I didn't have the heart to tell them the truth. A doe that matches your description was found at the office of Dr. Jan Flynn, Lower New York District Hospital. I called ahead. She's expecting you sometime this morning. I sent a quick reply, thanking her, and rolled out of bed. The leg injury was no more than a twinge now, and I stretched it a little in the shower as I got ready to meet with the coroner. I moved quickly through the foyer of the hospital and down toward the morgue, flashing my badge at the desk. As much as I was around death, I wasn't exactly fond of hospitals. The morgue was a few degrees cooler, and though it smelled overly sterile and there was a body on the table, I found myself somehow more at ease than I had been on the floors above. Dr. Jan Flynn stepped from her office and donned a white coat, nodding a greeting to me. She had sharp eyes that seemed to appraise me in a millisecond before moving on to the task at hand. Her lips twitched downward before reforming in a hard line, and she pulled her hair back into a tight bun before gesturing me into the room. Investigator Hart? In the flesh. You must be Dr. Flynn. I understand you might have some insight as to the identity of our doe here. I looked down at the body on the table, digging in my pocket for the original photo that I had forgotten to return to the Madisons the day before. The body was barely an echo of the creased photo, with the neck elongated, the eyes enlarged, the fingers tapered into claws and bent at an extra digit. I shook my head and extended the photo to the doctor, who took it quickly and with darting eyes compared it to the twisted corpse. It might not seem it, but yeah, this is the guy. Alder Madison. I have his mod records, too, if you want to see those. She nodded, without looking away from the body, and I passed her my tablet as she handed me the photo. As she read, I leaned in closer to the body. For someone who had supposedly died of a crocodile overdose, he had no scaled skin, he didn't smell of rotting flesh, and he only had a couple of noticeable injection sites. This guy died of a crocodile overdose? Doesn't seem that way, does it? My guess, given the two injection sites, is that the first dose didn't give him the effect he was looking for. He must have some kind of tolerance, though he doesn't have the rotting skin that builds up over long-term use. 
The strange thing is that usually crocodile leaves a detectable amount of several other agents, including iodine, lead, phosphorus, etc., etc. It usually depends on the chef and the peddler what other ingredients find their way in. Either way, they are usually noticeably present in the bodies. In Alder, there was only a very small amount of the extraneous chemicals and compounds, but a really high concentration of the main addictive component. You said that's strange? She spared me an annoying glance, the likes of which I hadn't received since the last time I talked with my mother. Yes, the ratios were completely off. Ah. Gotcha. Okay. So what does that mean? It means that he was either drinking the distilled crocodile compound, or he was getting his fix somewhere that didn't require a needle. I stood, looking at the body, brows furrowed. There was nothing in the flesh to offer me any information. Dr. Flynn handed me my tablet, and as I went to stow it, the title stood out to me. Optics. Liar. Cover-up. Fair. Elegant. Piano fingers, talon, ox, and untold amounts of smaller, inconsequential alterations. A hundred changes on an increasingly shorter timeline. A change in behavior, quick to anger, to irritation, to conflict. The mods. What? The mods. He's been getting mods for a year now, in progressively shorter time frames. Is it possible that... that he could be getting this compound from the mods? That would make sense, what with the build-up over time, but it'd be the first time I've ever seen it, or heard of it. And if that's the cause, investigator, you would have a hard time with your case. But selling crocodile is illegal in Upper. Well, yes, but can you prove it? Can you prove that it was crocodile, without any of the build-up of the other fillers? Can't you? I can suggest, but I can't prove anything. I can say that there was a buildup of this compound in the body, and they can ask if it was some crocodile, and I'd say, well, I think so, and you know how that would go. Shit. How can I prove it? You could root around their facility and try to find out. They wouldn't let me do that. They wouldn't let anyone. Unless they didn't have a choice. I don't want to know what you're thinking, Investigator. I'll arrange to get this body where it belongs, but please be careful. These people deserve answers. And if that means going into the wolf's den, then I guess that's where I'm going. Gunderson's grocery was about six blocks from my house. It was the place to go if you were looking for food, cheap alcohol, and stern looks for the man behind the counter. Though I didn't always show up there for my various shopping needs, Marv Gunderson had a firm grasp on who I was. He gave me a slight frown as I entered the store, and instead of looking around at any of his wares, I beelined for the counter. Hey, Marv. Jack. I need you to do me a favor. Jack, I'm not interested in your favors. Marv, please. This isn't for me directly, and you hardly need to do anything at all. What is it? 
It better not be anything like the last time. I promised I'd stop helping you after that fiasco. I just need you to deliver a message. What message? To who? So, I know that there's a watchdog that shows up here. No. Marv. Jack, no. I'm not delivering anything to a watchdog. It's bad enough he gets his stuff here. Marv, please. It's not for me. It's for a family that just lost their son. I'm just... I'm just trying to do what I can. No promises, Jack. I'll give it to him, but he's not exactly a talkative guy. Thanks, Marv. I owe you one. Don't say that. Just buy something or go. I honestly had been trying to avoid him till this point. Somehow, still, I found myself face to face with Officer Smith. His features still familiar, though the bags under his eyes appeared a bit more prevalent. Look, Smith, I'm just, just trying to do my job. I'm sorry that our last interaction ended the way it did, but I need to know if there have been any other cases similar to this mod one that have shown up. Well, Investigator, you're fully capable of just taking them, and we can file a review request to handle it. Smith, please. Officer Smith, Investigator. Oh, come on, we... No, Jack, there's no we. There's no, oh, come on, for old time's sake, there's no more of that, okay? We're done. You made that clear when you blew a five-year case for- I was saving someone's life, are you kidding me? Did you want me to just let her die? I wanted you to wait, Jack. I wanted you to listen to me for once. We wouldn't have let that girl die. And because of you and your righteousness, we lost a lead that we had been working on for months, years even. Do you know what that's like? To work so hard to stop something so evil just to have it thwarted at the last minute by someone who... Who... Officer Smith trailed off, his eyes fixated over my shoulder. It was then that I realized that the typical sounds of the office had died off. The busy footsteps, the conversations, the computer noises, all of it. His eyes flickered back to me and stayed there, reflecting a fear the likes of which I'd never seen on his face before. Jack, what did you do? What are you talking about? There's a watchdog here, Jack. And he's staring right at you. Badge is bared. I felt my stomach immediately do a flip that left me nauseous. I knew that I technically left the watchdog a note, that I'd called him to me, but I hadn't expected him to find me here. I'd been waiting for him in my office, or on the street out front of it. By the Redeemer, I'd been waiting for him to show up just sitting in my house, dramatically placed under a single lamplight, but not here. I was a fool. Badges bared. Red is blood, and just as talent. I'm sorry, Jack. Even I can't help you now. I turned my back on him facing down the wolf that I had summoned into the flock. He stood at first unassuming. He wore a black hoodie and jeans, 
The hood pulled up over his head so that only his lips and his jaw showed in the garish office lighting of the police station. The sleeves of his hoodie were pulled up, bearing the red badge of his office, the solid forearm tattoos of a watchdog. He didn't glance around, didn't seem to care for anything that existed in his vicinity, except for me. He raised a closed fist above his head and the whole room emptied, police officers dragging perps from the room, secretaries, including Delilah, gathering the papers in front of them and bolting for the doors. I even heard the hesitant footsteps of Smith that, though slow in their retreat, still disappeared from the room. And I was alone with the watchdog. He lowered his fist, approaching cautiously, moving like an animal that didn't yet know if what it faced was a threat or its prey. He crossed his arms over his chest once he was close, the red of his forearms prominent in the white, cluttered background. Watchdog. I held my hands in front of me, offering myself as unarmed, as unthreatening as I could. I could have sworn that I saw him smile, and I had to remind myself that to him, I was essentially a bug under his boot. Why did I think this was a good idea? Investigator. Did you... I take it you got my note? Yes. You have five minutes. The watchdog drew a slim black case from his pants pocket, popping it open to reveal inside two glass vials. He drew a needle from the case, pulled up liquid from within one of the containers, and shot it into his arm, flexing his fingers as he capped the needle and tossed it into a nearby needle disposal. Five minutes to explain to me why I should care about this. I watched as his stance seemed to shift from a robot to something more... lifelike. He lost the hip-width stance, the looming presence, and seemed to slide into a lithe pose. It was like a few times I'd been to the zoo shows, watching the large cats practically slither onto the stage, muscles tense and coiled, eyes fixated, target in sight. If anything, it made me less comfortable. We had all heard Jay Murphy's watchdog announcement. Everyone knew that they had some kind of special modification that let them slide along between two ends of an unknown spectrum. All I knew of them was propaganda and stories. Stories of them making logical leaps that seemed completely off until the end. Stories of them being able to read minds, to predict behaviors and outcomes. Stories of them wiping out complete corporations, tracking down serial killers, punishing those that did undue harm to the citizens of Satellite. I didn't know which of them were true, but I knew that I needed him. I needed him to get to the bottom of what happened to Alder. Alright, five minutes. Starting now. Alder Madison was killed by a crocodile overdose, but- I know, it's strange. Not enough build-up, not enough evidence. Skip it. I was thrown off balance, though I shouldn't have been. Of course he would know. The watchdogs knew things no one else did. Worked with technological minds that no one else ever had access to. It was likely he knew my bank account numbers, and passwords, and where I slept. I tried not to think too much about it. Right. Yeah. Well, then you know that the best lead we have is that the mods were tampered with, or poisoned, or laced, or whatever with the addictive component of Crocodile, yeah? Yeah. Well, for one, I don't think that Alder is the only one. His girlfriend mentioned that they knew other people who were also regulars at the mod clinic, that it was popular, it was- Making a lot of money, 
The revenue, although always steady, seems to almost have tripled in the last year. What? You have a minute, investigator. I know the facts, but why is this something I need to do? Why can't you handle it? Because... because I can't. <sighs> this is above me. There's no way I can get into their records. No way that I can expose their ingredients. And certainly, and most importantly, no way that I can stop them. The watchdog stood for a moment, cocking his head as though he was listening to another voice inside his hood, and then nodded once, briefly. He pushed his black hoodie back, revealing blonde hair that was cut close to his head, piercing blue eyes, and a strong jaw. He had a scar that ran up the right side of his forehead above his eye that disappeared into his hairline. It wasn't the face that I was expecting for an entity that functioned outside and above the laws, the government, and the society of satellite. And judging by the smirk that oh so briefly lit up his face, he knew it. Very well, investigator. I'll humor you. His voice was more lively somehow, more human than it had been before. An effect of the injection he had taken, perhaps? Or some joke that I wasn't quite in on. You'll look into it? Already did. What? I had my control agent hack into their records. It seems that there are a series of clients that follow all their same trajectory. Minus the crocodile overdose. More mods with increasingly shorter gaps between them. Mods that don't make sense for their careers or hobbies. A few were even institutionalized for what appeared to be behavioral symptoms of withdrawal. I wouldn't have shown up here if I didn't think your theory held any water. I have better things to do than clean up the occasional murder. Thank... thank you. I'll give you everything I have, though it sounds like you won't really need my help. Actually, you'll be coming with me. What? According to my control agent, their office is on the 30th floor. I wouldn't be able to get to them without them noticing me first. The fastest way to get someone to delete incriminating records is to show a watchdog in an elevator. So what... what would you have me do? Be a distraction. I'll need you to get my control agent into their computer system. What'll you be doing? Taking the stairs. The device the watchdog had given me felt like it was burning a hole in my pocket, and I was paranoid that the small tracker and communicator that sat just behind my ear was glaringly obvious. I had one goal, to get this device into the computer. Easy. It would be easy. The elevator doors whooshed open, and I could tell that the secretary already had their finger on the call button for security. 
I forced my best customer service smile onto my face as I entered, keeping an eye out for the thugs that had followed me a few days before, though it was unlikely that at least one of them would be around. Morning, I... What do you want? You have all of our files, which we are currently in the process of requesting review on. So I noticed. So if you would please vacate the premises, then we will be... Funny enough, I actually can't do that just yet. Got one more thing that I need to take a look at. Oh, and what might that be? I need to see your records. You have our records. No, like I need to see them on your device. I could feel my blood pumping in my ears, and not just because I was in the middle of a bold-faced lie. There was a watchdog on my heels, and if I didn't get this done, or do this right, there was no telling what might happen to me and everyone in this building. What? What for? Sometimes things get corrupted during the transfer. I'm sure it's not any ill intent or anything. Just a precautionary step. You! Get out of the way! I vaulted over the desk, shoving the secretary back, and jammed a small, unassuming flash drive-like machine into the computer. It was the one job the watchdog had given me, and I had no idea what it was going to do. What happened? The elevator. It won't turn on. The computer screen was black, the elevator dead, and the only lights that were on were the few that had flickered to life on some kind of backup power. It was just enough illumination for me to know that I was staring down the barrel of a gun. Good to see you again, investigator. Wish the feeling was mutual. I think you've crossed a few lines in this interaction. I don't think that we need to wait for a review on this one. I jumped the gun too early. Way too early. It was 30 flights of stairs, and he'd come in after I'd already gone in the elevator. Apparently, this was it. I'd always kind of assumed I'd die bloody. I just never thought I'd be in an upper mod clinic, of all places. <laughs> the guard started to get up from where the surprise attacker had thrown him, drawing his stinger. He froze immediately as the watchdog raised his hand over his cloaked head, fist clenched, the tattoo on his arm a deep, wine-dark red. The presentation of the badge. Everyone in satellite, both upper and lower, knew what it meant. It was taught in grade school. It was explained over and over again, every day on the train platforms at eight in the morning. Jay Murphy's voice played loudly in my head. If a watchdog gives you a warning symbol of a raised arm, do what they are requesting immediately. If they give no explicit instructions, leave the area. Put down your weapon, go into the security room, and wait. His voice had a strange mechanical lilt to it, like when he had appeared in the wasp station, before he had injected whatever it was that the glass bottle contained. You, secretary. Show me to the- The guard lunged, and I felt all the air leave my lungs. The man was either brave or stupid. Or both, as he swung the stinger toward the watchdog. But the watchdog was no longer there. He moved fast. Too fast. The kind of speed that left you feeling uneasy. Like watching a spider dart across the room. <gasps> Limply, the guard slid to the floor. Blood beginning to pool under his head. Seemingly unfazed, the watchdog turned back to the secretary, who now stood with her hand over their mouth, 
a horrified Secretary, expression on their face. You will take me to Dr. Urell. Is is he is he is he dead? If he is, he was warned. It is a capital crime to attack a watchdog. So if he is alive, he won't be after a visit to the courtroom. I assume that the doctor's office is this way. He's in today, yes? Y yes Good. Go into the security room and wait. The secretary bolted for the security room, and the watchdog followed silently, jamming the door behind them so that it would be nigh impossible for them to get out. I skirted the body of the guard and followed the watchdog down the short hallway. We passed by an operating room, another office space, and found ourselves facing a heavy wooden door. Did you just... knock? Yes. That would be protocol in this situation, no? I mean, you just killed a man in the lobby. Aren't we a little past that? The doctor has not been given a warning, so no. We are not past that with him. NK, it looks like the doctor is trying to access the files. Ah, what the? I can't tell if he's just trying to alter them or if he's trying to delete them, but you should probably be careful interacting with this guy. He's got something to hide. Sounds good, Control. Continue to keep everything locked down. We'll ask him what he's doing. Roger that, N.K. N.K. reached once again into his pants pocket, withdrew the slim black box and its two glass vials, and weighed them in his hand for a moment. He pulled a needle from the box, pulled up the clear, somewhat viscous liquid in one of the vials, and injected it into his arm, disappearing back down the hallway into the operating room, where I heard the light sound of something hitting the bottom of a trash can. A few moments later, he returned, rolling his shoulders and sighed. He moved differently now, slightly slower, more fluid, more human. Oh, right. Let's see what the good doctor has to say for himself. Dr. Urell, this is Watchdog NK, giving you your first and final verbal warning. Open the door. Isn't giving that kind of warning a good way for you to get shot? I can't imagine watchdogs are popular on the grates. We're not, but we still have rules. Everybody gets one warning. Everybody gets a chance. He bared both of his tattooed forearms, took a deep breath, and took another step backwards. All right, I guess we're doing it this way. Get ready to clear the room. Don't move. Hands where I can see them. Dr. Urell had a pinched face that was currently flushed, his breathing rapid, eyes darting as he scurried backwards from his desk. What are you doing here? Why are you- I get the feeling you might have a pretty good idea. I don't- we're just a mod clinic! Sure, and I'm just a guy with tattoos. I swear! Look, I know you've been trying to alter or delete files. Your security guard attacked me in the lobby. And you locked yourself in your office and ignore my commands and warning. If you don't have something to hide, you have a funny way of running your operation. I'll tell you what, since you don't seem particularly open about this, you and the investigator are going to take a walk down to the Upper Wasp Station, and I'm gonna call a crew to really dig into your operation here. We're talking every file, every client, every substance in your storeroom, if they find that you've done wrong by all of your clients, which is how many again, Control? Looks like about 50. 
50 people harmed as the head of a corporation is two strikes against you in a one-strike system. If the crew I call finds you've been using your position of power to harm others, I will kill you. By the Redeemer. No, wait, please. If nothing is found, you have nothing to worry about. And I'm sure you'll get an apology letter for staying in the cell. Investigator, if you don't mind. Wait, I, I want an attorney. That's not how it works with watchdogs. That's how it works with investigators. What about this situation makes you think that I'm the one in charge? Please, this isn't how it's supposed to happen. I want, I want my day in court. Look, maybe, maybe if you just tell us what is going on, NK will let it play out in court instead of, you know, killing you outright. Both of us turned to look at the watchdog that leaned casually against the desk. He shrugged. If you've done something wrong, you certainly stand a better chance of making it out alive via the courts. You'll let me stand trial if, if I, uh, if I confess? If you have something to confess. I could see the doctor weighing it in his mind, and so could NK. The watchdog's head turned ever so slightly in my direction, and I knew that he was looking at me, gauging my reaction, measuring me in some way or another. The gaping darkness of his head turned forward once more, the lower half of his face blank, unreadable. There was a rumor that whatever mod the watchdogs had made them impossible to lie to, that they could read people so accurately that maybe they could actually read your thoughts. I didn't necessarily ascribe to the thought reading, but watching him here, now, it was hard to wave away all the rumors. Maybe you couldn't lie to them because they just already knew the answers. His control agent had effectively locked down an entire building, hacked a medical database, locked the clinic's files, all remotely, all through a simple chip plugged into a computer. Either way, I wasn't the only one who knew that the jig was up. Alright, fine. Fine. It's not illegal, but... Great start. We... we lace our anesthetic and some of our aftercare with the... a distilled form of the active ingredient in crocodile. But... but it's not crocodile. It doesn't have the same structure. The law forbids sale of crocodile in Upper, and we're... Drugging people with an unknown substance to keep them coming back to your clinic? Is that legal? Well, strictly speaking... Strictly speaking... You're not offering it for sale. If you were selling this, you'd maybe have a loophole. But right now, you've got a case where a doctor is drugging unsuspecting clients in Upper with the active ingredient of the most dangerous narcotic in satellite. Best of luck in the courts, doctor. Control, did you get that whole confession? Yep, loud and clear. Perfect, send it to- I'll kill you! No, don't! I realized that hiding just on the other side of the desk was an inopportune move. Reaching for my gun, I felt Dr. Urell's looming presence before I saw it, and realized too late that he had gained his feet, his gun pointing directly at my head, too far for me to take it from him. Drop the gun, doctor. We have a deal, remember? You'll go to the courts. You won't likely even get the death sentence. I peered around the wood of the desk to see that NK had his own sleek black handgun that seemed to have materialized from nowhere. No, you drop the gun. I won't be taken or killed or audited or whatever by a fucking wolf like- 
The doctor slumped to the ground. No final words. No groan. Just a bullet hole leaking a trail of blood down his nose. The window behind him sprayed with a red mist. N.K. bowed his head for a moment, and then slipped the gun through a side slit in his hoodie, holstering it in a rig similar to my own. Control, we need a cleanup crew and a wasp detail. Fill in the wasps with the confession, and have them gather the chemicals they can find for testing. They'll need to alert the previous clients. There are two bodies that need cleaned. Two? I didn't think this was supposed to be a death path. It wasn't. I'm going offline for a while. Call me if you need something. Roger, N.K. Be careful. I think there's a news crew outside. Perfect. Thank you. What? Thank you. You, um, saved my life. Oh. Yeah. No problem. It's part of the job. N.K. waved my words away, stepping forward to look out the window for the news crew, but then thinking better of it. Well, investigator, I'm going out the back door. You're welcome to follow me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I will. I stood next to N.K. on the train platform. He had his hood down, his sleeves covering his arms, and his hands in his pockets. If I didn't know any better, I'd think he was a regular citizen, here to catch a train for a night shift. N.K., for his part, didn't notice my scrutiny instead directing his bright blue gaze down at the ground in front of him, letting the people on the platform jostle him back and forth. I hope you don't mind me asking, but, well... Yeah? Can you read thoughts? Is that what people think? You might be surprised what people think. Yeah, I guess. You got another question, investigator? Well, yeah. I... I can't really think of a graceful way to approach this. You seem quite a bit more bothered by the doctor's death than I was expecting. <laughs> oh? Well, it's just, you weren't bothered at all by the death of that guard. N.K. looked up at the billboard as it began to change from a commercial to a picture of Jay Murphy at his desk. The watchdog PSA. Normally, they only played it once a day. Except on days where the watchdogs were in the news, in an unfavorable light. His look turned bitter, and his gaze returned to the ground. It's the emphases. The what? He produced the slim black box I'd seen him use a few times before. Careful to keep the tattoo that stretched onto his hand pointed downward. Hard to notice. The bottles were inscribed with large black block letters. Bio-M... Mech M. Drugs, basically. They help you view things how they need to be seen. A little peek under the hood, I suppose. But death is a lot easier to handle when your emphasis makes you a machine. See you around, NK. Probably not. I stood there, alone on the station, watching as Jay Murphy gave a big, blindingly white smile from the billboard. It's a beautiful evening here in Satellite, and I am proud to share it with each and every one of you. Crime is at an all-time low, 
And we have several institutions, several people, to thank for that. First, of course, is our great elect, and the senators that work with him to institute beneficial policies and craft helpful legislation to keep our city healthy and glowing. Second, is the WASPs, our steady and caring police force that protects our streets and guides us gently towards safety. And finally, those red-armed beings, guardians of our haven, those knights of steel and bone, the watchdogs. A special thank you to some of our backers from the thank you from the bottom of our heart tier. Thank you, Savannah Hook. Thank you, Emma King. Thank you, Sarah Griffith. And thank you, Ben Platt. Thank you to all of you. It's nice to be in business, and we couldn't have gotten here without you. Before we get into the credits, a special thank you for our patrons on the Case File Kickstarter tier. This episode, the name Iris was submitted by Elvin, it's the name of his pet boa, and the name and outline of Marv Gunderson was submitted by Jake Bergquist. Heartbeat Podcast was written, edited, and produced by Aaron Bentley. Our sound engineer is Bella Bongiorno. Jack Hart was voiced by Becca Austin, and NK was voiced by Levi Austin. Lorraine Madison was voiced by Catherine Kern and Forrest Madison and Sam DeBoer were voiced by Jace Flanagan. The voices of Guard One and Real were brought to you by Brady Robshaw, and Casey was voiced by Claudia Richburg. Iris was voiced by Jane Brummond, and Gleevan Faraday was voiced by Justin Kern. Dr. Jan Flynn was voiced by Ali Soretto, and Mark Gunderson and Steven Urell were voiced by Logan Soto. Security Guard Two was voiced by Andrew Thornton. The music was written, produced, and performed by Veronica Harris, and you can find her music linked in the show notes. Interested in more content? Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Heartbeat Podcast, heart spelled H-A-R-T, and visit our website at heartbeatpodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and may you all bask in the glory of satellite.